What's up, Nerd Nation? It's your boy, Chris Wilson, host of the Average Sports Nerds podcast. ASN is a podcast started by two lifelong friends who have a passion for sports and the debates surrounding them. You can connect with us on Instagram at AVG Sports Nerds. From all of us here at ASN, we thank you for your support and we hope you enjoy the show. What's up, Nerd Nation? It's your boy, Chris. We're back with another football episode. We got DC, a.k.a. Derek Compton with us, as always. What's going on, Derek? What's going on? What's going on? It's good to be back. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, I don't want to bury the lead, of course. Uh, We got a very special guest. Uh, This guy's a former D1 wide receiver at Monmouth University, who's now a personal trainer. Uh, he also is the host of the Athletes Marathon podcast, which is available on all platforms, just like this one. And I'd also venture to say that through his Instagram posts, he's a great motivator and a life coach, a very good friend of mine, and a lot less average than us sports nerds here. That's my boy, Matt Choi. What's going on, man? What's up, guys? Chris, Derek, I appreciate y'all having me as a guest, man. I'm excited. It's been a little minute. Obviously, with COVID and quarantine and past 2020, man, it's been harder to get connected in person. But I think the dope thing about video and, and Zoom calls like this, it makes an opportunity to get connected with old friends. And, um, dude, I'm beyond excited to be here and catch up with y'all, man. Definitely, definitely. We're excited to have you for sure. But, um, I mean, I guess we could jump right into it. I had some questions for you here. Uh, going back all the way to high school here, we'll start there with your, a little bit of your high school career. Uh, okay. Uh, it's senior year, coming off a heartbreaking loss in state championship game. Uh, second game of the season, the quarterback goes down. Now, I, I mentioned before you were a D1 wide receiver, but you then had to step in and play quarterback for the rest of the season. I just wanted to know, for, like, what was that transition like for you, you know, knowing you were getting recruited to play wide receiver, but having to step in and play a different position? Yeah, I mean – it's a, it's a great question. I think that's kind of a, it's a great starting point for me as well. I think uh, you said it, right? I mean, I was, uh, I had a decent junior season at receiver, but I had a really good off season in the sense of showing up to camps um, and, and really showcasing my ability at receiver. And I, I, you guys know, I mean, I really have always had a chip on my shoulder being Asian American, playing a sport that's predominantly black um, players. It's, it's always been a chip on my shoulder of like, oh, like this Asian kid can't play. So like, I've always had that chip that's carried on with me with everything that I do in my life in a sense. Um, but to answer your question directly, how it kind of impacted me, obviously you said it on point, like a lot of schools that were looking at me now, I had two games of film at receiver and, you know, I did decent those first two games. I had like two touchdowns and like probably 200 yards total in the first two games of the season. So I was starting off my senior year on a really strong foot. Um, but then obviously to your point, Mikey Murtaugh got hurt and then, we kind of had to re-scramble, right? You said it. we lost in the state championship my, our junior year, and obviously Derek played with me too. Um, and obviously we were all in the, in the mentality of like our whole mantra was unfinished business. And in my head, I was willing to do whatever it took, sacrifice for the team, for us to put ourselves in the best situation for, to go compete at the state championship again. Um, Coach Mack came up to me after that paint branch game, and he just said, Matt, like looking at our team, I think you give us the best chance to, to go back to a state championship. And at that point, like, literally, I'm going to practice every day, going to individuals with the receivers and doing everything as a receiver for the first two weeks. And now it's a complete 180 where I have to take a step back and learn our whole running plays, learn the entire offense, and um, just take a a third-eyed view of, like, what it takes to lead a whole team versus just selfishly doing my job at receiver. Like, dude, when you're a receiver, bro, look, I know the play. If it's a run play, all right, I got to block my guy. If if it's run away, I just got to cut him off. If it's run my side – I'm blocking. I, I got to make sure I seal my, my edge or whatever, whatever routes I'm running. I know what I need to do. But when you're playing quarterback, now your responsibility is to one, lead the whole team, get everyone set up properly, and then you need to execute the play. So it's, it, it put me in a position to be a leader even more than I already was. I was a senior captain of our team, but being, playing quarterback, and you guys are big fans of football. You guys understand, like, there's a different level of responsibility required to lead in that position. And all eyes are on you. 
all the love gets, you get all the love and you get all the hate, right? So when you, right. when you mess up, you're getting all the blame. And, and, and in a sense, you need to take that blame in as well. Um, but when you do do, when you win, you get praise, but you also want to show love to the linemen, to the receivers, to the defense, because you guys not I mean football. It's one of those sports. It's unlike basketball, Chris, and you know, it's like not one player can't dominate. And even we just saw a goat Tom Brady at 43 year old, three years old, just win a Super Bowl. But it took a lot more than just Tom Brady to win that game. And I think overall, what, what I learned in that moment in that year was putting the team, right, putting the name on the front of the jersey before the, the name on the back. And I think that's one of the biggest life lessons that I take away from that year. And, you know, to go on, we had a great season and we went to go to the state championship and we ended up losing that game. But ultimately, like those life lessons that you take away are something that you can't really take for granted, win or lose, you know? Right. Definitely. Absolutely. I do have a question for you. I just, just piggybacking off something you said about when, you know, when Coach Mack uh, mentioned that, you know, he thought you were going to give us the best chance at winning. Can you kind of elaborate on that? Like what, what, what caused Coach Mack to kind of go to the starting receiver, transitioning you to a quarterback rather than going to the backup quarterback? What was it, you know, did, have, did you like ever – show signs of playing quarterback do you, do you have a, a history of quarterback or anything like that like what, right, what, what right. that? No, it's a great question yeah. i mean dude selfishly i've always low-key wanted to play quarterback like <laughs> when i was like uh, like dude there's like there, there's like some pictures on my wall right here that people if you're listening you can't really see but um it was when i was in literally when i lived in vegas like i got first introduced to flag football and the first year i played i just played receiver i played defense i i, I had a really good first season of just football the next year I came back, one of our coaches, we had a new coach, and he saw me throwing the football around. And this was, mind you, I'm like, I'm like 12 years old. I started, I was just throwing the football around, playing catch with our quarterback or whatever. And he was like, Matt, have you ever played quarterback? And when I grew up, man, in Vegas, there's no football team. Like, the Raiders are there now. Michael Vick was one of my biggest role models, someone that I looked up to. Um, the Falcons were my favorite team for a while when he was playing there because I just, like, he was my favorite player. Um, I always, like – I'm far from Michael Vick's talent, but like my, like the ability to see someone like him be mobile, throw the ball and kind of lead his team in those different facets. And it, it was unlike many other quarterbacks that kind of sparked my interest in football in general, but also my ability to throw the ball and, and, and play quarterback. Now, fast forward going into high school, my freshman year, I actually was the backup. I was a third string quarterback and I played safety. Honestly, like I'm not a defensive player. I've never had been. I never really enjoyed tackling. Like I've always liked being an offensive guy. So even my freshman year, I played safety. I started on our team, but I didn't really do much. Like I was just a starter, but like I had like, dude, maybe like 10 tackles a whole year. So like, I had, like, you know what I'm saying? Like I didn't like, dude, you, calm. You know, you're like, that team was stacked. Newbie was that deep, like nose tackle. We had Mark Green. Like we had our whole team was stacked. So they just threw me out there because I was a solid athlete. But ultimately I didn't make that much impact. But that was like the first moment where like they like foreigner put me in at, at, at third or fourth string quarterback and coach Max saw that like, okay, like the kid, he can throw, like I'm a pretty good overall athlete. As I got kind of older through the program at QO, like coach Changers really thought that he could see me playing receiver. And like, he thought I had a lot of skill and talent to play receiver. So now my sophomore year, I get moved up to varsity. I hurt my finger. And I don't really play that much my sophomore year. Like, I got moved up, and I'm like, I'm barely playing. So, Coach, they started putting me, like, back on JV. And you probably remember when I came down. Yeah, I remember that. Game. Yeah, he's um, really passing on it. But ultimately, where, like, the quarterback, that, that, that situation, I think ultimately what happened was Coach Mack knew I had the potential to play. But he kind of also knew, like, what players were coming up in the program. And obviously, Mikey Murtaugh was coming up through the program. And he kind of wanted – I think he wanted Mikey to be – a two-year starter, his junior and senior year. And ultimately that makes me a two-year starter at receiver as well. Um, but he would have these, he would have uh, workouts because Coach Mack used to run this quarterback clinic on the weekends. Like, and I would always go there because he'd, he'd text me like, Matt, if you want to get extra catches in, come do stationary catches, come catch for my quarterbacks. I said, all right. So I was, I was doing that my sophomore, junior year. But he started having me come to the workouts and doing the drills with Billy Plant, Lucas Bogart, and Mikey Murtaugh just to get me – like a touch of it just in case for whatever reason that I had to play. But wow. ultimately he ended up going with Billy plant, uh, my, right. our junior year. And then I just played receiver. But when he had that conversation with me, it was right after film. We watched film of that paint branch game. And then he had a meeting with all the coaches and then he let, he made me stay after. 
And it was me and all the coaches, Coach Kelly, Changers, and they all basically just said, like, Matt, we think that you give us the best chance. And what, even if that means changing up our offense, because now we're going to run the ball a lot more, doing a lot of, you know, RPOs and, and, and QB runs, um, they decided that that was the best route. And I know I just went whole full circle there, but that's why he even had a thought of me playing quarterback was because when like, I kind of showed him through the years that like I had an arm and I was an overall athlete. And I think at that point comp, like he knew I was a good leader. So like, he had that option of like, damn, do we put Tobin in there or do we put Matt in there? Where like Matt's the senior, he's the senior receiver, senior captain. And it's, just, it's I think that transition was easier for him to just be like, all right, we're going to put our eggs in one basket here. And ultimately it didn't work out all the way. Like it led us to a state championship, but right. you know, not getting that win it, I mean, I guess you can look at it however you want in that sense, if it was a success or a failure. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Speaking on that a little bit, um, the back-to-back years going to the state championship game, losing in both years was heartbreaking fashion. Um, me as a fan in the stands, I, I thought we were going to win both of those games. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to just really just get your take on that. How, how did that affect – both of you guys, really, because Derek, you were on that team as well. Uh, you can speak on that a little too. I'll say this, Chris. I think it's, uh, you know, in life, and this is the biggest, one of the biggest life lessons I've learned through football and, and, and kind of like through my years of just living in general. You learn more through failure than you do through success. The first year we lost, it was heartbreaking to your point. We were up 21-0. It felt like we dominated the game. And somehow, like, you know how football is. It's a momentum game some things start going the wrong direction and it seems like it's going freaking fast as hell in the opposite direction. Um, I think it creates this callous in our own mind of understanding like how you're going to respond to failure. I think in life, that's the biggest, it's one of the biggest life lessons because people respond to it so differently. You know, you have one way where, Hey, you fail. Some people are down and out. They don't know how to react, right? They don't know how to get themselves out of that, that run. Um, and, and some people stay in that mentality of like, damn, I lost. I couldn't get it done. And that sometimes holds people for a while in a dark, dark place. Then there's this other lane you can take where it's like, shit, all right, like, let me figure out how I failed, why I failed, and, and what I need to do now to make sure this doesn't happen again. And I think a lot of our older upperclassmen, because we were really junior heavy that year, we understood that it's doable. Like, we can come back to this point and get back to where we were. And ultimately we did, but we came up short the next game as well. And I think, you know, what I learned that the second time we lost was like, there's there in life, like nothing's handed to you. Like there's, there's no handouts, right? Like we were a dominant team. We were 12 and one up to that point, but just because we had a really good run and a really good season, like that opposing team wasn't going to just hand us a dub. They weren't going to just give us a state championship. And if you're comparing this to life, like, when, you, when you've been with a company for two, three years and that you're expecting a promotion, but you don't get it, right? Like you don't just get a promotion because you've been with a company. You need to show that you are excelling at what you do, that you're providing value to you, the, the company, the clients, and in and, and your own team in a sense, right? Like you need to be great at everything you do. And I think in that moment when we lost, I've realized that in life, there's no handouts. And obviously I knew I wanted to go play college football. So like that mentality has stayed with me through football, through my life, through career, through relationships, like nothing is given to you just because you work for it. Like sometimes in life, you need to go take it. And, and, and even when you do fall short, how you respond is what matters more. And I think that's the biggest thing. If someone's listening to this right now, if you messed up in, in, in any facet of your life, that's cool. Awesome. I don't, you shouldn't be okay with it, but be okay with it and understand that, Hey, this is just one chapter of what you're doing in the big picture of life and that there's so much more to achieve. And I think if you can approach it like that and understand that failure is not always a bad thing, that, you know, you, you'll, you'll be successful in whatever facet of life that you are approaching. Right. Yeah, I, I, can, I can totally jump on that. You know, um, when it comes to failure in high school, I, you know, I, I definitely uh, encountered a lot of that. You know, a lot of, um, you know, what you said, nothing, nothing's ever going to be handed to you, you know um like my journey through high school was 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 definitely different you know having been you know not always in the best shape having to um kind of prove myself day in and day out and um and I just remember you know junior year was a solid season for me academically and also and also uh extracurriculars as well you know in football Co- coach Klotz loved me 
And, um, you know, he, he told me himself, you know, I got you penciled in to start next year, your senior year, you know, you're going to start for me. And um, almost, almost didn't even make the team because I wasn't doing well in school. You know, I remember Coach Matt came up to me in, in the hallway right before the end, of the end of the school year, and he said, Compton, what are you doing? Like, you're not even going to be eligible for your senior year of football. Like, get your, you know, get your stuff together. And, you know, it was just – it was just like a lot of distractions. And I was like, man, you're right. You know, you know, so I got my stuff together. I got eligible, you know. Probably could have turned back time and, and tried a lot harder, but I'm not going to dwell on that. But, however – um senior year rolled around what was I doing that summer wasn't going to workouts wasn't wasn't staying healthy wasn't hydrating you know drinking a lot um and just not hanging around the right people and so it it translated on the field and lost my spot I, I remember I don't know if you guys I don't know if you remember this Troy at team camp when me and Tejan were late to practice and um what was it coach Klotz made us run bleachers that day at Shenandoah mm. <laughs> and uh that was the day I lost my spot on the offensive line yeah and gave it to Grant and um I was heartbroken heartbroken because I was like you know I was right tackle that's my spot I earned yeah. that in my junior year and then one little step one little mistake I made at team camp lost my spot and then that was when coach Kelly you know he saw that he knew I was an aggressive player. He's like, I'm gonna take you on defense. Yeah. He took me on defense. Started week one against Sherwood. Lo and behold, some a-hole on Sherwood, like somehow it's it was weird. He like grabbed my cleat with his like he stepped on my foot somehow and like it like it gave me plantar fasciitis. Mm, some no. weird injury. It's a tough injury. And and I remember uh, Dina, the trainer, was like, there's nothing here. There's no bones. There's nothing. What are you complaining about? I'm like, I can't walk. Like, it hurts so bad. And I could, I was like, I can't go out. I can barely put any weight on my foot. And then that was when I lost, basically lost my, my spot on defense. Uh, but, you know, even though, you know, I, I lost my spot twice in one season, which is like cruddy, you know, I still wanted to be a part of the team and, and I, I contributed where I could. And um, whether that was on scout team helping, you know, the tracks get better, you know, and, and just helping the offensive line get better, you know, um, that's what I really held on to was like, I'm going to try to make, you know, try to help this team get better the best best way I could, even though I'm, I'm kind of like, how should I say, salty, only short in these areas, yeah. you know, but I, I always felt like I had that, you know, that, that fighting mentality, you know, just keep going no matter what. And um, I stuck it through. I didn't, I didn't take no for an answer, even though I, you know, I lost my spot a couple of times, you know, the coaches always said, Hey Compton, you know, state championship week, they were saying, you know, we might throw you out there on defense. You know, we, we might need you out there. Um, didn't happen, but um, you know, like I said, it was just all about trying to contribute the best way that I could and not to feel defeated that it was, it was definitely a team sport. I wasn't going to quit on you guys. I wasn't going to, you know, pout because oh, I lost my spot because these uncontrollable factors happen. You know, that wasn't going to happen. But um, definitely some valuable lessons I've learned there that nothing's going to be given to you. You have to control everything you can control and accept the things you can't. And, you know, it's just how life ended up. And I'm, I'm glad to have been there in that locker room with you guys. You know what I'm saying? Win or lose. And uh, I I hold on to that every single day. One of my proudest memories was being in that Raven stadium with you guys. And, you know, we took a loss, but that was um, one of the greatest memories, you know, so. No doubt, bro. Yeah, no doubt. And I definitely want to say, like, yeah. you were still part of something great here. Both of you guys, I, I even feel like I was part of something great just okay. as a fan. Um, we got a good fan base at our high school. No uh, doubt called the red army i was kind of the leader of that you know i i still hold on to oh, yeah, still you're, yep. very proud oh, of chris was the goat bro yeah, look yeah, you were the face 100 chris was in there bro first row every game yeah. bro every yeah. game i mean look that's that's a beautiful thing about quince orchard i think something that you know coach mac really built that culture of you know community and it, you know every friday night in gates but you, you go to you go down to quince orchard high school it's a packed house regardless of who you're playing and it's something special right. that you know I went to go play Division One football. Like, dude, a lot of guys don't experience that in high school, guys. Like, straight up, a lot of my old, my former teammates 
they're like, damn, they're looking at our field, our, our games and our stadium. And I'm like, and they're like, dude, we had like 15 people in the stands. Some of them guys that played in New York, they, they don't even have stadiums. So it's like some people like that experience guys, like that Friday night lights type of feel, a lot of people don't get. And it's something that I think where we get spoiled because it's just a culture at QO. You go there now yeah. and it's still the same way. And it's, yeah. it's it, we have been spoiled, but to your point, Chris, it's, it's, it's not just the players. It's the alumni, it's the fans, it's the student section, it's the, the parents that are grilling. Like, they've got everything down to a science to the point where everyone is bought in. And it is a special thing at Quince Orchard. And regardless if they win state championships, you know for a fact every Friday night the Cougar Dome is going to be packed. And it's going to be a great, great experience. Yep. Year Definitely. in and year out. Definitely. I mean, I even go back now and I'm it's it's standing room only. Well, not now, I guess, obviously. Yeah, yeah. COVID yeah, that, and everything. But yeah. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's just an incredible atmosphere. Yeah. I took my son to a game pretty recently and uh he enjoyed it. He was like like two years old or something. But yeah, that's awesome. You know, it was a it was a great time. I love going back there. Yeah. But yeah, I guess we can move on now a little off of high school, move move on to your college career just for a little bit. Um I just wanted to ask first off, you had to transition back from quarterback to receiver and just gonna see you know, what was that transition like for you? And did playing quarterback help you, you know, going back to playing receiver? That's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the transition, obviously, guys, like, you know, after our senior year was done, um, you know, my focus started to shift to college. And at this point, like, dude, for me, like, football was, like, my identity, right? And, and throughout high school, like, I, like, Coach Mack had planted a seed in my head that, Matt, like, you're going to have a chance to play college ball. There's no guarantee, but you put yourself in a situation to potentially get an offer. You're going to give yourself a chance by one academically being eligible, showing up on the field and as well as like going to showcases and showing my talent. But after my senior year, I had two offers, you know, one from a division two school at university of Charleston in West Virginia to play receiver. And then I had Monmouth um, right at the end of the year playing to play receiver as well. Um, and that was a division one double a offer. Um, and I had a ton of division three schools that were like, like salivating for me to come play for them. And they literally were telling me like, Matt, you tell us what you want to play. We'll put you anywhere. Quarterback, receiver. Like, like they literally were like, yo, you could play whatever you want. And, you know, in the moment where like, the season had come down and like my emotions from that last game had kind of settled. Um, I, I, the, the one thing I wanted for myself was playing at the highest level. And, you know, I saw these opportunities, like even Towson hit me up later saying that they wanted me as a preferred walk on. And, um, you know, I even thought about that as an opportunity just because, you know, it's home. You know, if I had to, I could play in-state in tuition and hopefully earn a scholarship after my first year. But I ended up just committing to Monmouth and, and uh, partly because, you know, a former teammate and, and you guys know Darnell Leslie was there. He was a year older than us. And, you know, he was kind of like my big brother in the sense of like, you know, showing me the ropes when I went to my official visit and, you know, telling me the ins and outs of, you know, the coaching staff there. Um, I made that decision, committed, went to Monmouth. And now the whole mentality, I'm, I'm playing receiver now. So like, I'm not, I'm not doing any dropbacks. I'm not, you know, reading the offensive line anymore, but to answer your question, how it helped me coming from quarterback, you know, when you're having to, to take in all the, all the uh, information, right. From what the defense is giving you to figure out what coverage is and, and what, you know, the D line, like what stances and, and positioning they are they're they're in, you have a lot of data, a lot of information, a lot of Intel. And a lot of that stuff helps you as a receiver. Cause when you're running routes, now when I see the safety roll down into a cover three and then the middle safety is playing in the middle, I have an idea like, okay, they're going to be in some type of three or one. And it gives me an idea of receiver. Now, if I'm running a post route or a comeback, I know how the defense and how the corners and safeties are going to react. And I, all I need to do is run my route and catch the ball. So it became a lot easier for me in the sense of like understanding defenses, because now when you go to college, it's a competition more than just athletes, right? Because most of the guys are, people are skilled. And the only thing that you can separate yourself is one, understanding the playbook and understanding your role on each play. And those small details are things that really, really talented guys that never had to learn a playbook in high school really, really struggle with as they transition to college. Because look, if you slip up a couple times, if you're, if you're the X receiver and you run the wrong route, like you're getting your ass replaced by the next guy who's going to show and see if he can know what he's doing, what he's doing. Right. So when I play quarterback, like all that knowledge and the, the ability to soak in a playbook and understand what everyone is doing 
extremely helped me when I went to college because I'm like, all right, so you're telling me I just got to line up a receiver, run a slant route, catch the ball, make someone miss, and kind of like that's it. Like it helped slow the game down for me. And not completely because, look, the college and high school level game is completely different Like, because everyone is an athlete. But understanding like the bigger picture of defenses was very, very easy for me. And in our meeting rooms, I would be able to, you know, all right, look, coach, they're playing cover four here. How? Why, why do I know that? Because if I look at the corner's leverage, you know, they're playing me more like in, in a zone look versus playing me man where their eyes are on me, right? So those small details in college can help separate you from the next man that is just as talented as you. Definitely. Um, yeah, a lot to unpack there for sure. But yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking, you know, just being able to read the coverages and stuff. Obviously, you know, when you're, when you're a quarterback, you're looking at the receivers, you want them to be in certain places. So I was just thinking, you know, playing receiver, you know what you kind of know where the quarterback needs you to be hundred certain coverages. And dude, a lot of it, Chris, your point, right? Like, especially when defenses are playing zone, a lot of receivers, quarterbacks, when they have that connection and they understand that when everyone's on the same page, like if, if a team's playing cover two and I'm supposed to run like a go route, but the corner's playing in that flat, like as I clear the corner, it's my job to sit in that little window, right? Where the quarterback can throw it right before the safety can get there. And like those small intricacies of football that not everyone might understand, but like as a, as a receiver, dude, you want to make your quarterback's life easier. So if you can find those windows where the quarterback can kind of, you know, switch his arm angle to get a completion done, like that's how you get the ball more ultimately. And that's how you make plays. And like, that's how you set yourself up in the offense to move the chains and, and ultimately move the ball. Right. So yes, to your point, having that knowledge definitely helps. Like now can all those things be learned by just a receiver? 1000%. But it obviously helped me expo- exponentially just kind of learn it faster. Yeah, gotcha. Um, yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. After you went over your whole college career, um, give me a little insight as far as uh, what led you to your choice of, uh, your choice of career after college. You know, yeah. what, what, what coerced you to, to stick with the fitness industry as opposed to finding other means of uh, – of in sources of income and stuff like that. No, hundred percent. I mean, I think it's, it's a great question, Derek. I mean, when I was in college, actually, um, you know, you know, I think everyone, when, when you're a senior in college, like that last semester, you know how it is. Like if you have a job lined up, like you're just getting lit, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it's right. kind of like a senior in high school, like, yo, you don't have response. Like you have responsibilities. Like obviously you want to graduate, but um, I had a job lined up with this company called StairCycle. And I actually went corporate America for about a year and a half before I got back into the fitness industry. And, you know, a big thing for me was I'm a big believer in, in, in tasting things. Like, you don't know you don't like shrimp if you've never tried sushi, right? Like, that mentality, like, like it's, it's one of those things where you have to try it yourself, right? And it's, it's, that's kind of my approach to life. And the reason I wanted to go corporate America was I wanted to just see what it's like to be in there, right? And I had an opportunity to work for this company called StairCycle. I was there for about a year and a half, but ultimately I, I didn't really see my fit within the organization. Um, in terms of one, what we had to, like what we do in terms of what they had to do in, in terms of their own uh, um, company, but even like my personal fit with their core values and kind of like the progression within the company. So after a year and a half, my lease was actually up when, in Baltimore and I decided I was going to, you know what, I'm going to move back home. And, you know, at 23, it's, it's not the most sexy thing to move back to your mom's place in Montgomery County. Like it just, it's not, but I knew that if I did that and I didn't have, you know, rental income or I didn't not have income, but I didn't have a rental expense that I can potentially try and figure out, you know, what my passion is or what my purpose is and, and kind of double down on it. So, you know, I came back here in March and at this point, I was like, you know what, you know, I'm pretty, I wasn't too far off from graduation and, you know, football has been always been something that's been big in part of my life, but even bigger than football, I think fitness is something that is everlasting. Right. And especially in a world right now with COVID, like I didn't see it then, but fitness has always just been in my life. And I, I think I've said it earlier in the podcast in the sense of like me being Asian American, I've always had a chip on my shoulder and I've only known like, you, you bust your ass in whatever you're doing, whether it's sports, whether it's in your career, um, you just got to work hard. So I figured that, you know, in college, I was already training some kids, like local kids from my church um, that were also Asian, that they were like, oh, like Matt's playing Division One football. So like parents were like, you know what, like you should go work out with him, right? So I already had this like kind of 
foot in the door in terms of fitness and training. And after I kind of made that full jump in, dude, my first couple of months were a struggle, but I think this is what I tell anyone in the audience. Like anytime in life that you guys want to take a jump, right. And you're trying to take a risky, risky move. You need to set yourself up to make that move. Right. And, and I say this because, you know, your personal finances are important. So if you have this dream and this passion to do something outside of the norm, you got to set yourself up for success. So, you know, what I did was I had eight months of income saved that I knew that, Hey, if I made zero bucks, that I would be able to survive off this money. Right. So I had eight months of living expenses covered and obviously moving back home and decreasing a lot of my expenses helped me kind of pursue my dream and my passion. So all that kind of happened. And, and then I started my brand called the athletes marathon. And, you know, at first I started it and, and kind of, if you hear the name, you know, some people were telling me like, Oh, it sounds like a running brand or, or, or whatever. Right. And it didn't sound like, you know, a sports performance company or, or service. And honestly, I, I, I heard that feedback and I was like, you know what, you guys have a good point, but ultimately what the brand means to me is it's, it's an everlasting journey, right? Whether, whether you're an athlete like Chris, or you stop playing at high school, you're still an athlete though. Right. And you're on now your own marathon. Of I like to think so. Yeah, you know, you know, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give you props. You're still an athlete. No doubt. And appreciate I appreciate that. But, I'm, a mean, I'm a mean remote controller. Uh, <laughs> But I think, you know, regardless of what sport you play or what level you stop playing at, you know, you're on this constant journey of redefining yourself and who you are and and what you're about. Um, So for me, even though I hung up the cleats, yeah, I'm not a collegiate football player. I'm not a football player anymore. But that doesn't mean that my life just stops. Right. Like I'm on this next journey to, to build a brand and to help people move and, and, and learn, you know, what they're truly capable of. Um, So to answer your question, Derek, like, I think fitness has been something that it's, 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 it's this form of meditation for me because it's my isolation time. It's my time to work on myself and to challenge myself mentally, also physically. Um, and I find joy in that because the ability to help others is something so selfish and it's selfish because the way it makes us feel right as people. And, and, you know, Denzel Washington had this great speech at, at Howard university. And he said that he was like, you know, the most selfish thing you can do in life is, is help others, right? Because the way it makes you feel. And I think something like that, it elicits this response for me and a lot of people in this industry, because it is empowering when you can empower someone to do more or to do better than what they thought they were capable of. It's more than just money, right? It's because you're making true impact. And I think that's something that really stuck with me because there was people in my life, coaches and mentors that helped me believe, helped me believe that in myself. And I just find this strong responsibility to kind of, you know, do that for the next generation and, and even people older than me. And that kind of come, coming full circle is why I stayed in the fitness industry. Definitely See, want to ask you last question, man, kind of, kind of based off of that, you know, to our listeners, you know, this is, this is a question for you guys, you know, on your behalf, let's say someone, even like myself, former athlete, hasn't trained in a while, hasn't really been on a program or a regimen in so long, or even someone who has very little to no athletic background, what do you like, how would you suggest, you know, getting your mind right to becoming more fit, to building your life in a more active lifestyle? Mm-hmm. You know, what are some steps that one should take in order to get to that point and to, and to start that slippery slope of improving faster and faster? Right. I think the, the easiest thing you can do is, you know, be self-aware and understand that, hey, like I'm at this point in life where I'm not that motivated and I haven't really done much in terms of my personal health, right? I think that's like that self-awareness is important, right? Because if you don't think that there's a problem, like if you don't think that like, oh shoot, like, you know, it's cool that I haven't worked out or haven't, you know, been on a diet or whatever. If you don't see there to be a problem, then you're not going to do any action to change anything, right? So I think first thing is first is understand that, hey, like I could be doing a lot more. I could be doing better for myself. Then the next thing is now creating a doable action plan, actionable plan that you can actually do. Cause now if I say someone new that has very little experience working out, I say, Hey, I want you to go run 20 miles a week. That is extreme. That is something that probably is not going to be doable for that person because it's too much volume in a, in a very short amount of time. But if I say, Hey, I want you to go on a walk for two days, two days out of the week, 30 minute walk. Is that doable? Can you fit that into your routine? Can you listen to a podcast you enjoy or one of your favorite albums and go on a walk? No, don't worry about the time. Just for 30 minutes, I need you to just move your body. 
that is a much easier thing to ask someone to do than go run 20 miles, which is something that, you know, more of an experienced runner is going to do. Right. So that would be my first two steps. Self-awareness first, understand that, Hey, you know, I, I could be stepping up. I could be doing a little bit more and I'm not happy with where I'm at with my personal health. Step two is doing something so small, right? Because a small change can then snowball into bigger change, right? It's no different, Compton, than like when, when, when kids start lifting, right? They, a lot of kids, they, they just want to lift arms, right? Because they, they, that's the one thing that girls see. That's the, the glory muscles. 100%, right? It's something that is exposed that people can, can, can see. So when you grow your biceps, right? What do you, what, how do you grow your biceps? You got to rep it out, right? You got curls for the up, girls. Right? Curls for the girls. Yeah, there you go. And Larry the lobster. 100%. It's no different than training your mind. So you ask me, how do you get someone into that mentality? The first thing I'll do after kind of showing them, hey, you have the self-awareness. Now here are two things like go walk for twice a week. Changing the mindset, it, it, it's something that you have to get uncomfortable. When people are in their day-to-day routines, it's comfortable for you. You wake up at the same time, you know, you eat the breakfast, you go work nine to five, you come back home, you see the kids, you have this routine, this regimen. Now, when you're throwing these different obstacles throughout your day, it's slowly causing stress in your mind, right? Because now you're like, damn, I got to go work out. I got to go do cardio. I got to go hit weights, right? So slowly but surely, you start training your mind in these uncomfortable environments. You can slowly build this, this muscle memory, right? Within even in your own mental. And slowly but surely, hey, that two days of walking now turns into two days of walking, one day of resistance training, right? So now you're doing this. Oh, now I'm, now I'm actively moving my body three days out of the week, right? And then you slowly are eating a little bit healthier too, right? Like guys, there's not many secrets in fitness, a lot of these goddamn influencers are talking about, oh, you need to follow this diet. Ultimately, there's two things that are tried and true. You got to eat a little bit healthier, right? Most people understand like, hey, stop eating a bag of chips, get some vegetables or get some fruit instead of eating chips, right? Go, don't go to McDonald's every day. Try to pick yourself up some grilled chicken and some rice and vegetables, right? Like those things are not, it's not, it doesn't take Einstein to understand that you need to eat a little healthier. The second thing is movement, slowly moving your body. A lot of people, when they've been in a rut of fitness, they think that, oh, I need to go hire a trainer and do these crazy ass workouts I see him doing. Hell no. It takes years to build up to that ability to do these crazy ass workouts, right? So it starts, everyone has a clean slate and understand. And for me as a trainer, and this is what I tell people all the time, it's like, you got to understand, like, don't look at anyone else. Look at yourself in the mirror. Be the best version of that person. Don't look at David Goggins. Don't look at Matt Choi. Don't look at, you know, Tom Brady because you're, you're not at the, you haven't been putting them enough hours to be at that level, right? So focus on the person that you see in the mirror when you brush your teeth. That person, be the best version of him or her. And I guarantee you, you'll slowly make these movements into progression into your personal health, into your physical health. And I think a lot of that thing, it, it starts with the self-awareness. Understand that there's a problem. And then from there, reach out to the correct resources to get a plan set up to kind of, you know, make that snowball effect. Cause Compton, once you have it snowballing and you're feeling good about yourself and you lose the initial five or 10 pounds, that's where the light hits. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, oh, this is doable. And then you start getting the dopamine from working out. You feel energized after a workout. Right. And that's where fitness becomes more fun. It becomes, it becomes something that's part of your routine. It's no different than why you brush your teeth in the morning every day. Right. So it's, right. a, it's one of those things where you can build that muscle memory and anyone can do it. It's just a matter of what you're willing to sacrifice. Right. Well yep. put. Well yeah, put. I was going to say that that right there is exactly why uh, I, when I introduced you at the beginning, I said great motivator and good life coach. I mean, you got me ready right now to go outside, get moving again, because I feel like, you know, talking to everybody that's listening, but also talking to me right now, uh, I've really been working out um, full disclosure here but uh yeah i mean it's just it's it's just for me it's good to hear you talk about things like that and i wanted to talk about one of the guys you mentioned uh david goggins i remember um you did this challenge i think it was the four by four by 48 or something like that <laughs> yeah and i was like man this guy is Warmed crazy <laughs> i really thought this guy i was like this guy's crazy like in a good way though you know yeah. like crazy crazy good crazy taking it to the extreme. Uh, could you just talk a little bit about that challenge specifically? Like what, what was that really? Yes. Um, 
So to, to, for people that don't know, and it still blows my mind that people don't know who David Goggins is. And not that he's like, he's, not, he's nowhere on the level of Tom Brady or any of these elite athletes, right? But he is someone that takes no bullshit, right? And, and I'm talking about no bullshit for himself. If you hear a story, I recommend anyone out there, um, if you it, it, get his book, if you lack motivation or if you lack me, me, like mindset or, or mental toughness, go get the book called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. And if you don't like reading, get it on Audible because the Audible is actually even a better version of it because he actually is like narrate. It's like a podcast feeling. Um, answer your question, Chris. The 4 by 4 by 48 it's exactly what it kind of sounds like. It's four miles every four hours for 48 hours, for two days straight. So if it, sounds, it sounds obscene, right? You, you, you have three hours of rest in between. It sounds crazy. The point of the challenge, though, is to test your mental toughness, right? And it's, it's one of those things where People want the people are like, they, they look at me and they think that I'm all, like, I'm all I do is I'm just fitness. And I just, all I do is work out because that's what they see on Instagram. Right. And yes, that is a facet of what I do for sure. And it's a big facet, but you know, behind all the working out and the running and the weights, a lot of this has to do with our mindset. Right. And like, ultimately that's what it's about. And I think people underestimate what they're actually capable of. Like we don't give ourselves enough credit as species, right? Like, like it's one of those things where, people have always put this mantra of like, oh, as you get older, dude, your knees are going to hurt. You're not going to be able to run. You're not going to be able to bike. You're not going to be able to move your body when you get 40. I'm sure your guys' pops or people have told you in your life, like, dude, once you hit 40, you don't recover the same. Once you hit 50, dude, those back spasms are going to hurt even. This whole mantra as we get older that we're not going to be able to move and that we're delicate and all this. Could it be some truth in that? Of course. But then you got to ask the people that are telling you, how much have you actually maintained your personal health? How much have you kept moving your body? And I'm not talking about doing a challenge like that. I'm just talking about just general stuff, right? Like moving your body more than just, you know, once a week. And I think that we all as, as humans, like underestimate what we're actually capable of. So the challenge, it sounds crazy as hell. Four miles every four hours for two days straight. So pretty much you're just running. You're, you're running almost two marathons in a matter of two days. But what it's about is pushing through the mental barrier. Right. Once you get done to that first day and you finish 24 miles, which is a marathon, your body's going to start telling you, Matt, like, dude, my legs are hurting. You know, it's it, that voice that happens here. Damn, Matt, like who's going to who's going to know if you went or not? Who's like there's no trophy at the end of this. Right. And all those voices, that external voice that happens in our own head that it starts to creep in. Right. Just like when you're in a crazy workout or you know, when you've been hung over, like people, you feel sorry for yourself. Damn, I'm dehydrated, bro. I don't know why. Like, you know, like all that people feeling sorry for themselves. The point of the challenge is to get rid of that, right? And, and what that does, right? What that does is if you can do it in a fitness space, in a fitness sense, in, in this analogy, imagine what you can do when life throws you a curveball, right? When life throws you stress that, that you weren't ready for. How are you going to respond? And that's what it's ultimately about, right? It's your response to failure and your response to adversity. You're damn right. When I did that challenge, Bro, I was hurt. I was hurt. It, it, and this was in the summer. So I was coming back home. Look, I had, I wanted no sympathy from no one. And, like, and my mom's looking at me like, I'm crazy, bro. She's like, like you, you woke up at 350 to go run four miles. And I, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that sounds crazy. But when you give yourself no other option but to succeed, you start realizing, damn, imagine I put this time and energy into a relationship, into my business, into my career. What am I leaving at the table right? What am I not fully committing myself to? And that's why when people tell me, oh, Matt's just about fitness. Like that is more than fitness, man, because all of it, just like our life skills that we learned from football, Compton, and and you from basketball, Chris, that stuff carries with you forever. You're going to remember that. And like something Goggins talks about, he says, look, everyone has a cookie jar in their own mind about, and and, and the point of it is to remind yourself how badass you actually are, right? And in those moments where you feel like you're weak, you just remind yourself, hey, remember that time when I, I did that 4 by 4 by 48 challenge? Or it doesn't have to be that. Remember that time where I ran that one mile where no one thought I could do it? Or where I did 100 push-ups when no one thought I could do it? And like these small wins start to build up the confidence in your own head to achieve whatever the hell you want, right? And I think it's like that mantra, that mentality, anyone can learn. I'm not, like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not different than you two, right? But it's, a build, it's the amount of time and effort and dedication you're going to put into something. Like, I hated running. And it's something that the reason I run is because I hate it. And I'm not good at it. And I think in life, if you can do things that you're not good at, 
that is true growth, right? Because it's easy, dude. If you're a hooper and like, and all you want to do is hoop, that's awesome. You're staying in your lane and you know what you're good at. But like, what's stopping you from going into lifting now, going into running or doing calisthenics? And like, there's so many things in life to achieve and do. But a lot of people put this limit in this cap about, oh, I'm only, I'm only a football player. You know, I, I, you know, I'm done playing football, so I lost my identity. I'm gonna just go work corporate nine to five. To me, that's just bull. Like, if we have one life to live, I say this all the time. Like, if if you compare your life to a lemon, and you put lemon in water, like I'm gonna squeeze it out of that lemon. Like, I'm not gonna just squeeze a quarter of it and be like, oh, okay, I'm good. Like, what's the point of that, right? Like, if we have one life to live, why not master it and why not do live it to the fullest? And I think that's ultimately that challenge and and the mindset is is the reason that I'm going to partake in it again in, in a month because Goggins is doing it again March 5th to the 7th. Um, but I think it's just it's, – it's bigger than just running, right? It, it, it's a mentality. It's a mindset that is everlasting. Definitely, definitely. And so, I mean, you got me ready to run through a wall right <laughs> no, now. No, dude, I'm ready to run through this like, wall. I'm man, about to jump down, do, do a few push-ups right now, man. It's Yeah. It's real. So, I mean, I guess with that, we should really, uh, where can the people find you? If, you know, if they're looking for a trainer, uh, they want to follow you on Instagram, maybe just get motivated or something, find 100%. your podcast. Uh, where, where can they find you at? Yeah. I mean, like, look, I, I think after I watched the social dilemma, there's one thing I did was, um, I don't know if you guys saw that movie or not. I think I sounds familiar. Yeah. It, it oh, basically, it just talks about social media and how these companies, these tech companies basically have you attracted, like, like connected to your phone too much. Um, so I mean, I, I cut off all my notifications on social media, but I am on social media a lot. So I'm on Instagram. I'm on TikTok. You guys can follow me there. Um, Matt, M-A-T-T, Choi, C-H-O-I underscore six on both TikTok and Instagram. And if you want like day-to-day content, like you'll see me most on both of those platforms. Um, I also have a YouTube channel that you can see more longer form videos and you can just look up my name, Matthew Choi. Um, I'm still growing that. I just actually hit a thousand subscribers. So you guys can definitely follow me on there where you'll see a lot more longer form and, you know, workout videos as well as educational content. And Chris said it too. I have a podcast where um, kind of similar to this conversation where I interview former athletes and different entrepreneurs and just talk about their marathon, their journey of life and how they got to where they are today. And not that all of them are these crazy success stories, but where, you know, just their story, their journey. And it's everlasting for them because a lot of them are in their 20s or 30s still. So they got a lot more to achieve. But I would say you can find me on those social media platforms. I'm on Twitter too, but I'm just not as active on it. Um, but yeah, you can throw those in the show notes and, and feel free if you guys want to train with me. Um, if you're in the DMV area, I hold weekly track workouts, regardless of your level of running every Saturday at 9 a.m., um, so follow me on Instagram. I'll sh- I typically put out the details of the location and stuff like that. And that workout's totally free. So it's free of charge. Anyone can pull up. Um, if you actually want personal training or workout plans or nutrition plans, you could just shoot me a DM and I can send you something um, a little bit more detailed because obviously there's not a one size fits all approach to that. But yeah, on social media, send me a DM and, and I'm willing to answer any questions or help anyone out. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, definitely. But um. Uh- so typically, we are just a sports talk show. We talk a lot about the NFL, NBA, everything. So I did want to quickly just get your take on the Super Bowl, uh, what you saw out there, just just any real observations, anything that you wanted to talk about from that. Yeah, I mean, dude, obviously, it, it, it was a good game. I wouldn't say it's the most exciting Super Bowl I've seen, right? I think it's uh, – um, I think what we saw on Sunday was – an offense that was dealing with a ton of injuries, especially on the offensive line. And it kind of shows you no matter how great one player is um, or one or two players that in this game, it's, 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 it's a team sport. And ultimately that's what we saw happen on Sunday night that Patrick Mahomes can't throw the ball and catch the ball himself. And he was trying his goddamn best because he made some unbelievable throws on the run, scrambling almost every single play for his life. And he threw some great throws that receivers probably should have caught. And on the flip end, we saw a GOAT, a veteran, kind of just manage the game and not turn the ball over. And if you kind of flip back to last year, the Chiefs kind of struggled against the Niners. If it wasn't for good old Jimmy G turning the ball over in the second half, like they ultimately could have lost that game last year. But this year, I mean, Brady is just, look, this is, this is what makes him great. And more than anything, his leadership and intangibles 
are, are exponentially more than what we, I think, gave him credit for over the years. Because I think Belichick and the brand of the Patriots kind of took a, a higher uh, stepping stone over Brady in a sense. Because Brady was such a good teammate that he didn't even need the notoriety of, of, of getting the credit, right? He kind of just let it, hey, this is, the, this is an organizational win. And he was really about the team, which makes sense. They won six Super Bowl rings. But I think a player like that is it's bigger than just numbers, right? Because he impacts the locker room in a way that gives someone like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and, and, and Antonio Brown and, and Gronkowski this belief that, that you have a chance to win, right? Because look, the Bucs were a good team last year. They just had Jameis who threw 35 touchdowns and 35 picks, which is not a good recipe to win, right? So I think ultimately someone like Brady, he, he's hungry. And that's the best word to describe it. He's never comfortable. He's never, he's never satisfied. And I think if, if you're looking at Brady and you want motivation, I think it's right there. That this is someone who's got a chip on his shoulder at 43. He's got nothing to prove. And he continues to go out there and, and showcase his ability. And I think what we saw on Sunday was a, a team win a team that believed that they were better than what they had shown toward the regular season because they were growing and maturing through a season where you, know, you guys know how, I mean, there was no camp. They're, they're, they're working through COVID and they didn't have a time to really gel as a group. And as, as receivers and quarterbacks, me knowing that, like that's a big part of building a relationship with receivers is throwing with them at practices, building that timing and connection. And he had to just do that on a marginal time in the off season. And, I mean, dude, it, 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 was, it was excellent. I think the game was – it was a good game just to see him win, but definitely not my favorite Super Bowl. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the, come on. Like, dog, the right. second half, like, dude, he handed the ball to Leonard Fournette and, and uh, what's his name, uh, 27. Like, dude, it was the yeah, game. Ronald, yeah, Ronald Jones. Yeah, yeah, Ronald Jones. Yeah, it was just the game was over at that point. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was, go, it was good to see him, him celebrate. I will say seeing them celebrate right now in Tampa – and Brady threw – I don't know if y'all saw – he threw the Lombardi. Have y'all seen that video? No. I have not seen that yet. Instagram, bro, after this, after this podcast, because there was a video of – there's two boats, because in Tampa they did a boat celebration because obviously social oh. distancing. Yeah. But Brady was on his yacht, and, bro, he threw the Lombardi to the next oh boat. Oh, God. Like, dude, <laughs> bro, it's OD. Just while, you'll see it on Instagram. It's, it's, it's going viral right now. But, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. And then Gronkowski hitting the bunt with it the last one. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, it's a, it's a great story, man. I think yeah, man. this year was awesome. I was gonna, I was gonna ask you about. Um, do you think? Because I know there was a lot of penalties, and there was some talk about that. People were kind of trying to put it on the refs. Yeah. Uh, do you think that had any impact on the game? Look, I mean, the zebras are, are always gonna have an impact on the game, right? right. I think it's, uh, in those moments, do they, they have an option, right? Of like, damn, let these guys play and compete. Um, but at the same time, you got to call some blatant stuff. In that one drive where the corner tripped up Mike Evans, I thought that was a clear pass interference, the fade ball, right? Same, yeah. I thought that was fair. You know, you call that. The one, the Honey Badger one towards the goal line where he collisioned them, maybe a little bit at like six or seven yards, but it wasn't like – he wasn't holding them. It just was a collision, and then the ball was kind of overthrown. I thought that was a questionable call. In that moment, you just give this team the ball on the one-yard line, and it's just – it's tough, but – at the end of the day, you can't ever blame the refs because, right, there's too many plays left on the field where, look, you can make that argument, but what if Tyreek Hill caught that one ball and then Damian Williams caught that other touch, right? Like, you can make that yeah. argument all day long. Do you have – is there a point to be made that maybe some of the refs shouldn't – like, they shouldn't be so close to calling the game? Of course. But I don't think those couple PI calls are going to be the make, the make or break of that game. But ultimately, as a fan, as a former player, I'm always for letting players compete. And if there's kind of those 50-50 calls, I'd rather you not call it. But the Mike Evans ones I thought was blatant that needs to be called. And um, Definitely, yeah. yeah. So I think that would be my take on it. Good point. I, honestly, I kind, of swayed, I kind of swayed my point on it because I was, I was highly upset. Yeah. Highly upset about all that. But anyway, Chris, you were saying? Yeah, I was just, I was just going to say uh, – is Tom Brady the GOAT? Chris, you know he is, bro. <laughs> I mean, look, at this point, I mean, I, I, I don't know how you can argue he's not. And what he has been able – he's been obviously clearly the most winningest player um, in, in football. And for him to have seven titles, which is more than any organization, is impressive as hell. And I think even just when, when that stat was going out the week before the uh, uh, Super Bowl game where 
you know, he's been to been in the NFL for 21 seasons and this is his 10th Super Bowl. And that percentage is like 47 versus Steph Curry's three point percentage of 43, which is excellent. The thought that on any given year that Tom Brady has a 47% chance to go to the Super Bowl is obscene. And I think that alone, regardless of his 20 years with uh, New England, like, dude, he's a winner. And he clearly showed you that this year because he came on a brand new team on a short season of training camp and he changed the culture in that room. And, and, and ultimately that's what a, a, a winner is and that's what a leader is. And I think Brady exemplifies all that. So yes, Chris, he is the goat. No questions, bro. <laughs> yeah, I, I, mean, I mean, yeah, you I know, I, I haven't always been the biggest Tom Brady fan, but like you said, it, <laughs> you can't argue against it at this point. I yeah, thought even before good. this Super Bowl, I mean, he was already the GOAT, in my opinion. I just thought that Patrick Mahomes was on that trajectory. He was coming up. I thought, you know, I thought the Chiefs win this Super Bowl. He's, he's right on track, and eventually he would surpass Brady. But losing to Tom Brady now, I, I just don't think that he can do it. I don't, I don't think there's yeah. any way for him to pass him. Because, look, regardless, even – because, look, six and then two – like, damn, you got a lot of years to yeah, play. Yeah, he still would have had to do a That's lot. That's catchable. Like, and I'm look, I'm not saying that, that Mahomes can't, you know, ever. It's going to be very, very hard for him to do that. Because you lost in your prime when you guys had lost, like, nine games since you've been in the starter, and you lost to a 43-year-old quarterback. Regardless, like, that's going to sit on your resume no matter what. If you went 2-0 and and then, look, a couple years go by, maybe you get a couple with a different team because ultimately – Patrick Mahomes has been excellent. He's been, yes, the best quarterback in the league probably the past two years. But can he do this with a different roster is the true question. Because right now he's got a roster, but that is stacked for him in his, on his favor. But in the next three to five years, you know, that, that team is going to look different. And can you win with a different group of guys? And like, that's obviously going to be a question that is yet to be answered that we're going to have to wait and see. But something that Brady has shown and done, he'll win with whoever, right? It could be Randy. And he didn't even win with Moss, right. like some of the GOATs that he played with, he's one with, like, some scrappy, you know, Edelman, Hogan, and, like, some guys that you wouldn't think are the, the, the star receivers in a sense. So, um, yeah, I, I love Mahomes. I love his ability and his play, but he's got definitely going to have to catch up a little bit here. And, and, and yeah, it, it'll be tough. But even if he wins four or five, man, I mean, that's you're talking about a hell of a career still. I mean, come on. Yeah. Right? Yeah. For sure. And who's to say, they, who's to say this rematch doesn't happen next year? Tom Brady's coming back, Bro. you know. 1, Who's to say it doesn't happen again? Exactly. And, and if you can go one and one, hey, you, you yeah, have right. paper. There's but an imagine, argument. Imagine it was six and then you got three. Then yeah. there's a legit there's, argument. There's a legit argument because, look, he's got a lot of years to play. Yeah, and and also that this now makes him 0-2 against Tom Brady in the playoffs, and he's undefeated against everybody else. Exactly. <laughs> so, like, what does that say, Craig? Like, come on. Like, is that your kryptonite? kryptonite? And, like, obviously Brady's 0-2 against Eli Manning. Like, so, you look, I think right. regardless, it's, it's one of those things where it's funny because – quarterbacks never play against each other but the media always wants to put brady versus mahomes and yeah. rogers versus brady but come on at, at the end of the day it's it's brady versus the defense and it's mahomes versus the defense and and that's why this team sport thing is so important and it's it's different than basketball where one or two players can dominate and it's the beauty and it's a curse in a sense and um it is amazing though it was, it was a great it was great to see I'm, I'm i was kind of i was rooting for brady i didn't think he was gonna pull it off honestly but more and more, I'm just like, damn, you really can't bet against this mf -er. Like, it's just <laughs> – You just really can't. Moving on, I wanted to talk about our uh, new Hall of Fame enshrinees. Uh, we got Peyton Manning in the building. You know, could have seen that one coming. Yeah. Uh, well, I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the candidates that uh, that made it in today. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, do you have a list of the others? I know there was – Yeah, uh, I can read it off right yeah, here. Read I got um, Peyton Manning, obviously – Calvin Johnson, Megatron, yep. Yep. Charles Woodson, uh, John Lynch. Oh, yeah, John Lynch is a big one. Yeah, Alan Fanica, uh, he was a lineman for the Steelers. For Pittsburgh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Drew Pearson was a wide receiver for the Cowboys, oh, like, right. way back in the I think Yeah, the like 80s. Roger Staubach. Yeah, he finally made it in. And then the two that weren't players were uh, Tom Flores, the former Raiders and Seahawks coach. I, I believe he was the first minority coach in the, in the league. Mm-hmm. And he, I think he has the second highest win percentage of all time. So just yeah. for the people that don't know him. And then uh Bill Nunn, that was the last guy. He was a Steelers personnel guy in the late sixties and seventies. He 
they credit him for putting together like the steel curtain and those type of teams. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll kind of talk about the players that I know. Um, I think Megatron was a sealed deal. Like, I mean, he had a short year, I mean, career, but ultimately he was a dominant, dominant player while he played. And, you know, you can't really question that he was the best receiver in the league while he was there. Um, Woodson, I'm, I've always been a fan ever since I was playing NFL Street 2. Um, yeah. You know what's funny? Is like, I always talk to Darnell about this because we were big about NFL Street at, uh, at Monmouth. And it's awesome. At the same time, it's crazy because we're getting older that a lot of those players that were studs in, in that game in 2003, 2004 are now all kind of getting to that point where they can get inducted. And um, it just makes sense. I mean, Woodson was a beast, bro. Um, I loved his play and his like his just talent. Um, and then Peyton is a goat, man. I think regardless of what you say with his Super Bowl Super Bowls wins or whatever, um, he was one of those players that that you just you had to prepare. And 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 he him and Brady had some great show show like showdowns. Um, and that's someone that I remember growing up. That's just like damn, like that's how you might not have all the God given speed and, and and arm strength and all this stuff, but like you put enough dedication into your craft, into understanding defenses and playbooks and how to put your team in the best situation to win. He was by far the best at that. And that chess match, like when he would have games against like Erlacher and Ray Lewis, you really saw, you know, goods versus goods going against each other and who can play the chess better. And he's, uh, he's definitely a special player. And um, I, 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 I'm a big fan of that. And I think Lynch is a beast too. I love, I mean, Lynch is a savage, bro. I think that hard hitting safety mentality, it's a, uh, it's definitely coming back. There's some big hitters in the NFL now, but uh, a lot of them more are finesse and they're very athletic now. Lynch was just like that hard nose. Like he's coming down in the box. He's kind of like a linebacker still. And honestly, using him in, uh, in street was, he was a beast too. You could force hella fumbles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and Lynch also think he, I think he has a chance to get in again in the for future GM? for, uh, yeah, for GM. Cause I mean, they, they have to win some Super Bowls, but yeah, he, for sure. he definitely put together a good roster up there too. Definitely, but, uh, especially with like, but like when you have guys that aren't like very elite, elite at that position, but you can find different pieces. He's done a great job of, of forming that team into, into winning games. They're not trash, but they're also sure. not one of the better echelon teams either, but they're on the come up for sure. And yeah, another thing you're saying about the, you know, the big hitting safeties. I personally, I'm glad to see him start coming back, but I feel like, Obviously, with the rule changes, you can't hit receivers in yeah, the head and all those and kind of things. So I feel like that's a big Taylor part of that. I, I just think the guys now are finally starting to like – they've been coming up with these rules and they're just able to, to lay the big hit right yeah. in that perfect target area. It's, it's a lot, it takes a lot more skill, I think, now to, exactly. to play defense. One, like, look, there's no more reckless abandon. Like, like I love Sean Taylor. I'm, I'm sure you guys are both big fans of Sean Taylor. But, like, oh, yeah. that, like that's just, like, throw your body in with your shoulder. Like, mm. you can't do anymore. So, you have to yeah. be very – like, you have to be very, very uh, tactical with how you kind of approach a running back. And, look, I, there, there's no doubt that this is turning into an offensive league, right? I mean, I don't know if you guys saw, like, uh, Mel Kuyper's uh, mock draft. But, like, there's four quarterbacks within the five, first five picks. And it's just and, – and then there's, like, three receivers in the, in the six through ten. Like, it's just showing you that yeah. Yeah, <laughs> where the value offense. is going moving forward and for higher scores. Like, it's turning into an offensive league, and it puts defensive players in, in this bind because you're asking guys that played football their whole career to now change how they're approaching hits. And this is right. their livelihood we're talking about, right? So, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's becoming very tough to play on defense, but it's even more power to the guys that can get that done, like, like safely, right? And it's impressive. It really is. Definitely. But, yeah, I mean, the la the last real thing I wanted to get your opinion on before we get out of here is uh, I know you're a big Cam Newton fan. Uh, <laughs> I, what, do you, what do you think needs to happen with Cam? Uh, like, should the Patriots keep him? Uh, should another team make him the starter? Should he be a backup? Like, what, what's your read on that situation? Well, yeah, I mean, it's a great – I am a big Cam Newton fan. Um, it's, it was tough for me to watch Patriot games this year. Just kind of, he, he really, he doesn't seem like himself, right? And I don't know if it's the injury. I don't know if it's a men mental thing of like him not being comfortable in that Belichick system um, where he can't really kind of like be himself, you know? Um, but to answer your question, I think what Cam needs to do is probably get out of New England. I don't think they want him there either. Um, no, the question is, can you humble yourself and be a backup? 
And do you want to be a backup? Like, I don't think at this point in his career, if money, I don't think money's in money's what he wants. I think he would love an opportunity to get back onto a, a competitive organization that has a chance to hit the playoffs and maybe go for a run. I think Cam has a lot left to prove. And I think mentally he, he probably feels like that. I think for him, it's just about finding the right situation. Because I think when you get to that age where you're starting to get older, you don't want to just go get, go to like a, a Miami, right? Where it's just like, like there's not really much winning there. It's not a culture there. I think you want to get involved with an offensive coordinator or a head coach that is offensive oriented, that can get creative with the playbook and put him in a situation to use his skill. Because Cam showed this year, he can run the ball still. I just don't like how much New England ran him. Like they, they overuse, utilize that because they, they realistically, they're, they stay, they're not good. New England's offensive team, it showed you this year what Brady has been working with. This man, they, they have no weapons. They got no weapons. I mean, they got Jacoby Myers and Edelman, who had an awful year this year. And, yeah, and Edelman's he, looking washed. He's looking washed, bro. He's dropping, and they they they're not that talented. So I can't really judge Cam all off this season because the, I don't know how many quarterbacks would have been successful in that Patriots offense. And he still was kind of competitive just because his sheer talent. And obviously, they use his running ability in the goal line specifically. Um, but, yeah, I think Cam has still stuff in the tank. I think it's just a matter of finding the right situation. Yeah, I agree. Um, I haven't really got to talk about this much on the podcast, but mm-hmm. I thought that he was playing really well. Well, I wouldn't say really well. I thought he was playing decently well up until he got COVID. And then it seemed like after that, he just never really got it going again. So I'm with you. I think, I think he's still got some left in the tank. And I think, I, I, I think you know, you got to find an offense – that's willing to use him, yep. to, you know. Same frame. Yeah, in a good way. Yeah, I mean, dude, you're exactly what you said, Chris. That Seattle game, that primetime game that they had, they almost won that game, which against Seattle is a great competition. And then he got COVID the next week. And then from there, it just seemed like he's trying to play catch up. And to your point, Chris, he just – the, the offense didn't gel. And, dude, they were still – they had a lot, like a, a, a in-the-hunt chance to make the playoffs, but they just couldn't win enough games at the end of the season. And just, yeah, it, it was – it's it spiraled very downhill quickly. Yeah. I got one, one more uh, – because, you know, his former coach, now the coach of, of my favorite team, the Washington football team, or I should say our favorite team here, the Washington football <laughs> team. You, do you like that fit at all, uh, Cam coming to Washington. Look, any quarterback coming to Washington, I don't really like. <laughs> Keeping his <laughs> honest, yo. And that's me being very objective as a, not a Washington fan, but someone that lives in the DMV that understands the struggles that Washington football fans have gone through in the past decade of, of the quarterback carousel. I mean, you can name any older quarterback that's came to Washington. It's never worked out. It's never – I mean, you can go from all the way back to um, Mark Brunel. And, and Brunel, look, I'll give a – Brunel had a couple of good he's, years. He's, but McNabb was not the right pick. Not Smith at all. was not oh the right God. pick. And obviously Smith got injured. Well, which I, I was going to say, I think well, Alex Smith, Smith was, was all right. We were he like six and two. And he then, was solid, yeah. But and no, then he – But would. what I'm saying, though, Chris, is it seems like even when you get the right person, that there's like this – there's oh, like yeah. a black cloud over Washington's quarterbacks. Oh, his name is his name is Dan Snyder. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 literally, it could be that, but um, I don't know. I, I think I, I think there's there's a better fit for Cam somewhere else. Obviously, the Rivera Cam would be dope, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, personally, if I'm Cam, I probably wouldn't go Washington. Um, but if that's like the only competitive team because of how great your guys' defensive is, that I think that a good quarterback or a m- above average quarterback can lead you guys back to the playoffs because that division is very weak. And with Dak Prescott, not understanding where that, what's going to happen there with the Eagles quarterback carousel, like there's a lot of opportunity in that division. So if, if you, if, if there's no other option, I think Cam, if he's there and he's not too expensive, then I think you can maybe pull a trigger. But um, if I was Cam, I don't know if that would be my first choice. I agree on that. You got anything else you want to ask Derek before I, 